Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3. This morning we're continuing our sermon series entitled Dear Church, a study through the, fir- the, the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, we've, we've looked at this, but we know the Corinthian church was a mess. Warren Wiersbe said of this church that it was a defiled church, a divided church, and a disgraced church. As we will see this morning, The church at Corinth had never advanced in their faith with the Lord. They were still acting like infants in Christ instead of as mature believers. Speaking of this church, Jack Arnold shared, whenever we observe any local church or groups of Christians, we will always find some who are eager to learn the Word of God and apply it, and others who show few signs of wanting to grow up spiritually. The Corinthian church was full of problems, factions, divisions, and split, largely because its members were exalting human wisdom instead of divine wisdom. As 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 points out, we read, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers." What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So the problem with this church was people worship instead of God worship. Now this morning's message is a continuation from last week's message. We're actually going to reach back and cover a few verses that we looked at last week as we transition and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 together. So let's read together, beginning in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We read these words. Paul writes, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh." For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Our message point this morning is this. We all fall into one of three categories. Every one of us in this room and everyone outside the doors of this church represents one of three people. And we're going to look at each of those people together this morning. When it comes to measuring up to who we should be as Christians, our goals should always be godliness. We should always be striving to be more and more like Christ, more and more godly. That was the standard that the Lord set for us in his word and even from the beginning of time. So notice these words that Peter penned and quoted um, in 1 Peter chapter 1. We read, Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, as we read in Matthew chapter 5, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what Paul is going to um, lay out for us this morning are, are, are three different people. 
And, and each of us in this room, again, represents one of these people. The first one that we looked at last week, but I want us to dig in a little bit more this morning, is the natural person. In verse 14, we read the natural of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Here, Paul is addressing the difference between the life of a believer and the life of an unbeliever. We know this, but there should be a major difference between the two, right? The natural person is a lost person. They are unsaved. They are spiritually dead. This person is alive physically, but they are dead spiritually. Let me take you back to the the cross this morning, to Calvary's hill. Picture with me this scene. There was a hill with three crosses. In the center died the Lord Jesus Christ. On either side of him died a, a man who was a criminal. Each man represented that day appeared to be very much the same. Three men were nailed to the cross. Each one, as they hung upon that wooden tree, were fighting for every breath. They hung as a naked spectacle for the world to see. They appear to be very much the same, but what a difference between each one. They nailed three individuals upon those three crosses, each man possessing his own personality. In the center died the Lord Jesus Christ, an innocent man. He went to the cross because the people chanted that they wanted Barabbas to be delivered to them instead of Jesus. He was tried and convicted, but what was he convicted for? For being innocent? For being perfect? For healing the sick? For causing the lame to walk, the mute to speak, and the deaf to hear? For healing those with disease? For raising the dead to life? He was convicted because the religious leaders were threatened by him. We know this, but the cross was always where Jesus was headed. He always looked toward the cross, and he made it clear that that was always his destiny. His life was going to end there, yet he still came. Why? Because he loved each and every one of us so much that he was willing to die for us, to literally take our place on the cross and die for us. On either side of Jesus died two criminals, men that deserved death. They had either probably killed someone or they had done something that was so vile that came with it the death penalty. All three died that day. But when it came to those two criminals, one of them died having been forgiven for their sins and the other died unrepentant. Read with me from Luke chapter 23. Speaking of these two criminals and the difference between how each responded to Jesus, we read, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Two decisions were made that day. One man chose to die in his sin and will spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. The other man chose to die to his sin and will spend eternity in a real place called heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. One man experienced rebirth that day and the other died just as he came into this world spiritually dead. Which of those men represents you this morning? If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? I hope you do, but if you don't, in just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity, provide an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord for salvation. The natural person is also a person who is spiritually undiscerning. As we looked at last week, these men and women are unable to grasp spiritual things since they do not have the Spirit of God living in them. They do not accept the ways of God because to them they are foolish. The cross itself is foolish to them. To them, we as believers also are foolish. So the natural person is who we all once were, and some of you may still this morning fall under that category, but you don't have to remain there. You can, just as others of us have, enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father through God the Son this morning. Next, Paul speaks of the second person, and this person is the spiritual person. In verses 15 and 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So a spiritual person is a saved person. There is a transformation that takes place in the life of a saved person. They go from being dead men and women walking to being fully alive in Christ because they have repented of their sins and they have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 10, we have this beautiful breakdown of what happens to every individual's life that comes to faith in Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see who we were before Christ, we were dead in our sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we read, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So before Christ, we were like the natural person, right? We were dead in our sin. We followed the God of this world instead of following the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was something glorious that happened in every one of our lives. We were saved by grace, weren't we? In verses 4 through 7 we read, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see what God did? 
here? Do you see what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us? He intervened on our behalf. He sent his son to die in our place. That is a picture of grace. We deserve to die for our sin, right? Remember what Romans 6.23 says? It says the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin is death. But, but Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That is a picture of grace, that Jesus died for our sins. He died in our place, and he provided a covering for every wrong that we had ever done. At the moment of our salvation, we went from being dead in our sin to alive in Christ. So we are saved by grace, but we are saved through faith. In verses 8 and 9 we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is acknowledging that what God says about himself is true. Faith is acknowledging that what God says in his word is the absolute truth. Faith is acknowledging that God created us for a relationship with him. It is acknowledging that the only way to God the Father is through God the Son. We gain access to God the Father when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are not saved, notice next, we are not saved by works, but you and I are saved unto good works. You and I were not just saved to be left alone. We were saved for a purpose. I mean, think about the Great Commission. What does the Great Commission say? Jesus left, some of the final words he left us was, was go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing um, people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses in all Judea, Samaria, um, and Jerusalem, and to the uttermost parts of the world. I know I quoted that wrong. Please forgive me. But, but God, had, had, at the moment of our salvation, commissioned us and sent us into the world to impact this world for him. We were created for something, and that is to impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're also told in this passage that as spiritual people and saved people, we have spiritual discernment. We are able to judge all things because we have the Holy Spirit as our guide. We're also told that the lost do not understand us. The lost do not get us as Christians, do they? They don't get us because they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And we are also gifted as believers with the mind of Christ. We know the deep things of God because the Spirit of God dwells within us. Isn't that good news, my friends? The last person that Paul speaks of this morning is the carnal person. Now, the carnal person, believe it or not, is a saved person. They're saved, but they are of the flesh. Instead of being spirit-led, they are still led by their flesh, and they make decisions based upon how their flesh leads them. Here's what is sad. Carnal Christians are those that sit in our midst on Sunday morning. They come to church, they put on a smile, they may teach a class, they may be in places of leadership in the church. On the outside, they look squeaky clean. 
But away from here, there is no difference in how they live compared to their lost neighbor or their lost co-worker or their lost friend at school. John Calvin made this distinction between the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal man. He said, Paul does not mean that they were completely carnal without even a spark of the Spirit of God, but, they, but that they were still much too full of the mind of the flesh so that the flesh prevailed over the Spirit and, as it were, extinguished his light. These people were a concern to Paul. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 again we read, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. We all know what it's like to have a baby around, don't we? They are amazing, but they can be a bit exhausting, can't they, Casey? Can't they, Justin? Yeah. Why can they be exhausting? Because they need 24-hour care. Man, they need to be fed, they need to be changed, they need to be bathed, they need to be held, they need to be put down for naps, they need to be spoken to, loved on, affirmed. All of these things have to take place. These things are exhausting, but that is the blessing of having children. We get to watch them go from needing 24-hour care to eventually being able to live independent lives on their own. As a church, we should always want newborns in our midst. Newborns in the faith as well as newborns in the flesh, right? That we can disciple and equip and, and see grow into the men and women that God created them to be. Paul loved walking with newborns, okay? But he wanted them to grow in the faith as well. Paul speaks of the diet of these fleshly believers. In verses 2 and 3 we read, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? We all know that one of the big victories we have as parents is when our kids stop needing to be bottle fed, Right? It's a sweet victory when they begin to go from being bottle-fed to, to eating some mushy food, to eating some Cheerios, and finally, man, eating a chicken nugget, right? Man, that's a, isn't that a great victory that we have as parents and as grandparents? You know, when Connor was, was younger, um, he, I think he was about two or so years of age. Um, Connor had multiple um, mouth surgeries as he was growing up, and because of this, um, he, he had an aversion to putting anything in his mouth. While your kids were putting Legos in their mouth, G.I. Joes and Barbie figures and all that other stuff in their mouth, Connor wasn't doing any of those things. Um, in fact, it got so bad that we had to take him to an occupational therapist, and that therapist had to teach Connor that it was okay to put certain things in his mouth. Well, the occupational therapist began to tell us, um, start offering Connor a, a lollipop and, and see if he will eat that. And so one day we were leaving um, the appointment and we were driving down the road and I asked Connor, I was like, Connor, do you want a sucker? And he said, yes. I mean, that was a shock 
to our system. And so we gave him a, a sucker, and I remember looking in the rearview mirror, him putting that sucker in his mouth. And that right there was a big victory for him and our family. His diet completely changed on that day. He, and, and that's what it looks like for us as Christians. We've got to get to the point where we are, we are no longer relying upon someone else to feed us spiritually. And we can get to that point where we are growing independent of other people. Now, we still need other people in our lives. We still need teachers and we still need leaders. We still need preachers. We still need to walk through God's Word together. But we also need to be doing that away from this place. Um, uh, during, uh, uh, in our, 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 our daily lives, in weekly lives. And so Paul is addressing here the immaturity of these believers, okay? Instead of advancing toward ribeyes, they were still being bottle-fed. Here's one of the main problems with carnal Christians. These individuals demonstrate to the world that there is no difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. You know what Jesus said about this type of a person? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some of your translations say, vomit you out of my mouth. How many times have you heard an unbeliever say they would never become a believer? Because they've witnessed the lifestyle of believers. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Man, they say something like, man, if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. I know I've heard people say that. And I'm sure that you've heard some variant of that along the way. Um, I came across, somebody had posted this this week, but I thought this was great. I don't know who the author is. But it says, being a lukewarm Christian is so dangerous because you blend in with everybody and impact nobody. Man, that is a strong quote right there. You and I should be different. We should act differently. Here's the problem with a carnal Christian. Here's what their lifestyle looks like to unbelievers. A carnal Christian cheats on their taxes just like an unbeliever does. A carnal Christian gets drunk at the office party just like an unbelieving co-worker does. A carnal Christian sleeps around just like an unbeliever does. A carnal Christian demonstrates road rage just like an unbeliever does. Carnal Christian um, cusses and participates in joke telling just like an unbeliever does. A carnal Christian is not advanced beyond the ABCs of the faith. Carnal Christian is all about self. They're not servant-hearted. A carnal Christian worships the world better than they do the Lord. I think we all get what Paul's trying to communicate to us here. We've got to grow up in our relationship with the Lord. We should be different. We should act different. We should worship differently. Next, we see the condition of, of this church. In verse 4, for one says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? The problem with this church is they were about man worship instead of God worship. Some loved the preaching of Paul. and may have even only taken the words 
of Paul as gospel truth. Some worshipped Apollo and may have only taken the, the, the words of Apollos as gospel truth. That's a problem. But a bigger problem is that they were not giving their allegiance to Christ alone. Jesus is not an option among many. He is the only option. Following Jesus must come first. He must become, come before family and friends and jobs and sports and entertainment and social media and so on. You know, I'll never forget when I, I think I was a junior in high school. Um, one of my favorite coaches, I may have shared this before with you. One of my favorite coaches was a gentleman by the name of Coach Art. I mean, he was, he was an awesome man. And every year, he would meet with his players, and he would have them list out their top ten priorities. And so um, he called me into his office one day, and he wanted to read my list. And I don't remember the exact order of, of, of what I put, but I know that, that I had um, family and, and, and friends and football, and I know I didn't have the Lord as number one. Well, Coach Ard was a believer, and he knew that I was a believer as well. And so in a very affirming way, he, 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 he made it clear to me that God has to be first in your relationship way before football. God has to be first in your relationship before your friends and before your family and before all of these other things. That must be the case for us now, today, as believers, the Lord must be first. And every decision we make should be made while consulting the Lord and His Word. Know that there is a cure for a carnal Christian. And let's look at that as we close this morning. The cure for being a carnal Christian is first, stop yielding to the flesh. Stop letting your flesh guide your decision making. And secondly, yield to the Spirit of God and grow. I want us to close by looking at this very simple growth acronym. We need to go to God in prayer. Every single day, we need to be communing with the Father through prayer. Every one of us. You know, how, how do you get to know your friends? How do you get to know your spouse? How do you get to know other people? By interacting with them, right? By communicating with them. Same way with God the Father. We get to know God the Father as we commune with Him in prayer. We need to read the Word of God. That needs to be a daily habit of ours. If you miss a day, it's okay. Pick up the next day. Read the Word of God. Study God's Word. Hide God's in Word in your heart. Next, obey the commands of God. Don't take God's Word as just a, a book full of suggestions, but take God's Word as the living, active Word of God that it is and, and apply it to your life. So obey the commands of God. Next, worship the Lord. Man, we do a great job on Sunday morning worshiping the Lord, but, but worship needs to, to extend beyond the walls of this church as we are outside the doors of this church. Man, worship as you go to work. Worship as you go to school. Worship um, through, through prayer and through scripture reading. Next, trust God with the details of your life. Man, trust Him with the little things as well as the big things. And finally, be Holy Spirit empowered. When we're Holy Spirit empowered, that means that we're tapping into the Holy Spirit. 
on a daily basis. You know what? Um, Jesus made it clear that the Holy Spirit is our counsel. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us before God the Father. The Holy Spirit dwells within every believer. And if we would tap into the power source a little bit more on a daily basis, man, there's no telling what God could do through us as individuals or us as a church. When we make our spiritual growth a priority, then we can be certain that we're going to be less carnal and we're going to be more like Jesus. As we close this morning, let me ask you this. Which of these three people represent you? Are you lost this morning? If you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? If you don't, I want to challenge you before you leave this campus today to to talk to me, talk to Bill, to talk to someone in this room and say, I don't know if I'm a Christian. We'd love to share with you more about how you can become a Christian. Are you saved? I hope so. I hope that that constitutes all of us, if not a vast majority of us. As saved men and women and students and children, we should be growing in our relationship with the Lord. Last question is this. Are you saved but living a carnal lifestyle? Are you living as the world? If that's you this morning, then I pray that today will be the day that you can recommit your life to the Lord. Say, I'm done living for the flesh, and I'm going to begin living for you. You know, I don't know what decision you need to make this morning, but I'm going to be standing here at the front. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. After this service is over, I'll be over in the side room over here. I'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. Um, you may need um, to, to recommit your life to the Lord. I'd love to share with you more about how you can do that as well. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Um, our worship team's going to come. If there's a decision you need to make, then we invite you to come. But let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, recognizing, Lord, that every one of us at one time or another represented one of these first two people. We were either unsaved or we were saved. I pray now this morning, Lord, that if there's someone in this room that represents the natural person, the unsaved person, that today will be the day of their salvation. I pray, Father, that if there's someone in this room, Lord, that is spiritual but yet still live in a carnal lifestyle, I pray that today will be the day that they recommit their life to you and they recognize that, 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 that living for the flesh glorifies no one except self. And we haven't been created to glorify ourselves. We've been created to glorify you. So, Father, help us to be less like this world and more like you. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made today, but I know that you do. Pray that you'll move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come.